Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, September 4th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast, uh, the Labor Day episode, no less, of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts. My brothers and sisters in Christ doing a lot of good work. There's a very wide variety of topics, so I would encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you, you'll find something over there you want to listen to, and there's a really good possibility that you'll find more over there to listen to than you have time to listen. So again, it would definitely be worth your while. I also want to continue to point you at the final two links in our show notes. The first one is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Gives and Go campaign. Uh, We are striving to rapidly um, pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative here within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay has provided a very, very thorough description of our goals and what we're trying to do and all that. Um, And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. The final link in the show notes, um, I'd had some more inquiries about ways people could financially support the podcast. So just to get started, I flipped on within Spotify, what was Anchor, but is now Spotify for podcasters or whatever it's called. I flipped on the uh, listener support option. Um, it is a subscription option. So it is a monthly option. There are like three different pay levels. Um, it's, it's just to provide some kind of alternative at this point. I'm actually looking into, um, finding and implementing some kind of way to allow for a one-time gift as well. Um, again, um, I'm not, I'm not stumping for money. I'm not stumping for support. Um, nothing, none of the content I'm generating, am I going to put behind a paywall? It will not be behind a paywall. All of it will be available to everybody. Uh, this is just a way if people want to support, they can, they are welcome to. And obviously I would definitely appreciate it. It, it is not as much, it is not really free to put these out, but, um, please understand I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm not doing it to, to make money or any, anything of the sort. So, um, again, I just want to point it out that it's there. Um, and you know, if you pray about it, I I'd, I'd love you to pray for the podcast. I could definitely use all the prayer I can get with everything that's coming down the pipe right now. Um, because we're getting ready to head into the prisons here within a month. We're starting up our Wednesday night services where I'll be preaching once a month for that as well. Um, and into the prisons, um, there's a possibility I'll, be preaching at least once, if not twice during a month for some of that on, on top of other that I'm doing in Sunday school class that we're teaching and all of that. So a lot of great work for, for God. And I'm definitely grateful, but needless to say, I could definitely use some prayer and my wife could definitely use some prayer because she ends up losing me for a while when I'm having to work on this stuff. So we could use any prayer 
we can get. Um, if you want to perfectly consider financially supporting the podcast and the ministry, please do. Um, but, but, but please don't feel obligated to financially support. Um, I, that, that, that's not why I've put it out there. Um, I also want to point out, I'd been speaking over the weekend about our live streaming at Vail Valley Baptist Church. We have run into some electronic issues. We've had a major component, um, bite the dust, um, within, within our stuff. So I think today they actually tried to record and then post video of our service. But so I'm very, very sorry for anybody that I, that I had said we would be live streaming and we weren't. I'm very sorry about that. I did not realize we were that bad off. I knew we had some issues, but I didn't realize we were that bad off, but we were, um, I'll keep you informed as to when we finally get everything back to normal and we get back on pure live streaming. So I'll let you know about that. But in the meantime, fine. If, 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 if you're not in our local area, if you're in our local area, come join us. Even if you got to drive just a little bit, come join us. If you're not get out there and find yourself a solid biblical church. Um, again, um, great, uh, uh, master seminary tms.edu. Um, over there, they have a church finder to find graduates from master seminary. Um, definitely you'll be, you'll be in a solid church there or should be in a solid church there. Um, founders ministry also has a church finder where you can find founders ministry aligned churches. Um, and they are very, very solid reformed, um, baptistic, um, definitely worth your while. Um, love the guys over at founders ministry. They are wonderful. Um, so, so find yourself a place and get to worshiping with the saints because again, that is a command. It's not a request. All right. Well, we're back into the week. We're going to get into our reading. I know there's been a little bit of a long lead in, but we're going to get back into our reading. Uh, we're going to be moving on, um, in Ecclesiastes. We're continuing on in the, in Ecclesiastes. Um, and then this, for the evening segment, we'll be getting back into our Bible study in John chapter 12. We're dealing with this point of, uh, the gospel reaches, the gospel reaches out a preview of Gentile salvation. So we're starting to see that preview of speaking of Gentile salvation. Remember, Jesus has been sending the disciples to the Jews only at this point. So we'll get to that, but let's go ahead and open up for this morning segment with the second day morning prayer. God overall, let's pray. Oh God, all sufficient. Thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away, like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring and thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. Well, morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening uh, the te- for, uh, let's see, September 4th. The text for it is from Mark 141. I will be thou clean. 
Um, I believe that has to do with Jesus um, cleansing the leper. Primeval darkness heard the almighty fiat, light be, and straight away light was. And the word of the Lord Jesus is equal in majesty to that ancient word, word of power. Redemption, like creation, has its word of might. Jesus speaks and it is done. Leprosy yielded to no human remedies, but it fled at once at the Lord's I will. The disease exhibited no hopeful signs or tokens of recovery. Nature contributed nothing to its own healing. But the unaided word affected the entire work on the spot and forever. The sinner is in a plight more miserable than the leper. Let him imitate his example and go to Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling down to him. Let him exercise what little faith he has, even though it should go no further than, Lord, if thou wilt, thou, can't, thou canst make me clean. And there need be no doubt as to the result of the application. Jesus heals all who come and casts out none. In reading the narrative in which our morning's text occurs, it is worthy of devout notice that Jesus touched the leper. This unclean person had broken through the regulations of the ceremonial law and pressed into the house. But Jesus, so far from chiding him, broke through the law himself in order to meet him. He made an interchange with the leper, for while he cleansed him, he contracted, he contracted by that touch a Levitical defilement. Even so, Jesus Christ was made sin for us. Although in himself he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, that poor sinners would go to Jesus, believing in the power of his blessed substitutionary work, and they would soon learn the power of his gracious touch. That hand which multiplied the loaves, which saved sinking Peter, which upholds afflicted saints, which crowns believers, that same hand will touch every seeking sinner, and in a moment make him clean. The love of Jesus is the source of salvation. He loves, he looks, he touches us, we live. Well, amen to that one. Uh, that, that, that nails it right there. How beautiful that was. All right. Well, let's get into our reading. We're going to be reading Ecclesiastes 7 through 9 today. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verses 8 through 16. I think that closes out 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, Psalm 48 and then Proverbs 22 verses 17 and 19. So Ecclesiastes 7, 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Better is a good name than good oil, and better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of all mankind, and the living puts this in his heart. Better is a vexation than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be merry. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the heart of fools is in the house of gladness. Better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools." For as the crackling sound of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too is vanity. For oppression gives a wise man over to madness, and a bribe destroys the heart. Better is the end of a matter than its beginning. Better is patience of spirit than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your spirit to be vexed, for vexation rests in the bosom of fools. Do not say, Why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good, and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a shadow of protection, as money is a shadow of protection. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its masters. See the work of God? For who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day when there is good, be of good cheer. But in the day when there is evil, see, 
God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not find out anything that will be after him. I have seen everything during my days of vanity. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you make yourself desolate? Do not be excessively wicked, and do not be a simple-minded fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you seize one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten men with power who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, do not give your heart to all words which are spoken, so that you will not hear your slave cursing you. For your heart also knows that you likewise have many times cursed others. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. What has been is far away and exceedingly deep. Who can find it? I turn my heart to know, to explore, and to seek wisdom, and an explanation, and to know the wickedness of foolishness and the simple-minded folly of madness. And I found more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is good before God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. See, I have found this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which my soul still seeks but has not found. I have found one man out of a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. See, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. Ecclesiastes 8 Who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines his face and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the sworn oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to go from his presence. Do not stand in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is powerful, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no evil thing, for a wise heart knows the proper time and custom. For there is a proper time and custom for every matter, though a man's trouble is multiplied upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? There is no man who has power to restrain the wind with the wind, and there is none who has power over the day of death, and there is no discharge in the time of war, and wickedness will not provide escape to its masters. All this I have seen and given my heart to every work that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has power over another man to his calamity. So then I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This too is vanity, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may prolong his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the wicked man, and he will not prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God openly. There is vanity which is done on the earth, that is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the works of the wicked. On the other hand, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the works of the righteous. I say that this too is vanity. So I laud gladness, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry, and this will join with him in his labor throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the endeavor which has been done on the earth, even though one never sees sleep with his eyes day or night, 
and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot find out the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not find it out. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot find it out. Ecclesiastes 9 For I have given all this to my heart, and explain it, that righteous men, wise men, and their service are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything may be before him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and madness, um, uh, are full of evil and madnesses in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is confidence. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Indeed, their love and their hate and their zeal have already perished, and they will never again have a portion in all that is done under the sun. Go then, eat your bread in gladness, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. See life with the woman whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given to you under the sun all the days of your vanity, for this is your portion in life and in your labor in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no working or explaining or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the mighty, and neither is bread to the wise, nor riches to the discerning, nor favor to men who know, for time and misfortune overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time, like fish seized in an evil net, and birds seized in a trap. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls on them. Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it was great to me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and built large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he provided a way of escape for the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, Wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in restfulness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. All right. Second Corinthians 7 verses 8 through 16. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to repentance. For you were made to have godly sorrow, so that you, so that you might not suffer loss and anything through us. For godly sorrow produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world brings about death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has brought about in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong, and everything you demonstrated yourself to be innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on one behalf might be manifested to you 
on our behalf, excuse me, might be manifested to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. And his affection abounds all the more toward you, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I am encouraged about you. Psalm 48 A Song, A Psalm of the Sons of Korah Great is Yahweh, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. For behold, the kings assembled themselves. They passed by together. They saw it. Then they were astonished. They were dismayed. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them there. Anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the east wind you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of Yahweh of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. Selah. We have thought on her loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces that you may recount it to the next generation. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us over death. Finally, Proverbs 22, verses 17 through 19. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and set your heart on my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be established on your lips, so that you may trust, I'm sorry, so that your trust may be in Yahweh. I have made you know today, even you. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, a wonderful Labor Day. Um, again, anybody outside the United States wouldn't understand that. But Labor Day as a holiday we have on the, uh, what, the first Monday of September. Um, so today is Labor Day, so it is a holiday. Um, so I hope you have a wonderful day. If, if you're in the United States, I hope you have a wonderful Labor Day. Um, I would implore you to continue to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. All right, we're going to go ahead and close out with prayer. The one we're going to close out with is called vain service, vain service. Let's pray. Oh, my Lord, forgive me for serving thee in sinful ways by glorifying in my own strength, by forcing myself to minister through necessity, by accepting the applause of others, by trusting in assumed grace and spiritual affection, by a faith that rests upon my hold on Christ, not on him alone, by having another foundation to stand upon beside thee. For thus I make flesh my arm. Help me to see that it is in that it is faith stirred by grace that does the deed, that faith brings a man nearer to thee, raising him above mere man, that thou dost act upon the soul when thou elevated and lifted out of itself. I'm sorry, when thus elevated and lifted out of itself, that faith centers in thee as God all sufficient, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as God efficient immediately as in thy commands and promises, immediately in all the hidden power, that faith sees and knows to be in thee, abundantly with omnipotent effect in the revelation of thy will. If I have not such faith, I am nothing. It is my duty 
to set thee above all others in mind and eye. But it is my sin that I place myself above thee. Lord, it is the special evil of sin that every breach of thy law arises from contempt of thy person, from despising thee and thy glory, from preferring things before thee. Help me to abhor abhor myself in comparison of thee, and keep me in a faith that works by love and serves by grace. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a great one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, September 4th episode, the Labor Day episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Uh, we are going to go ahead and get into John chapter 12, continue our, our study in John chapter 12. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's go ahead and open up with prayer. The prayer we're going to open up with is called the servant in battle. Let's pray. O Lord, I bless thee that the issue of the battle between thyself and Satan has never been uncertain and will end in victory. Calvary broke the dragon's head, and I contend with a vanquished foe, who with all his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. When I feel the serpent at my heel, may I remember him whose heel was bruised, but who, when bruised, broke the devil's head. My soul with inward joy extols the mighty conqueror. Heal me of any wounds received in the great conflict. If I have gathered defilement, if my faith has suffered damage, if my hope is less than bright, if my love is not fervent, if some creature comfort occupies my heart, if my soul sinks under pressure of the fight, O thou whose every promise is balm, every touch life, draw near to thy weary warrior, refresh me that I may rise again to wage the strife, and never tire until my enemy is trodden down. Give me such fellowship with thee that I may defy Satan unbelief, the flesh, the world, with delight that comes not from a creature, and which a creature cannot mar. Give me a draught of the eternal fountain, that lieth in thy immutable everlasting love and decree. Then shall my hand never weaken, my feet never stumble, my sword never rest, my shield never rust, my helmet never shatter, my breastplate never fall, and my strength rests in the power of thy might. Amen. All right, in the evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for September 4th, the text is from Leviticus 19.36. Just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hen shall ye have. Weights and scales and measures were to be all according to the standard of justice. Surely no Christian man will need to be reminded of this in his business. For if righteousness were banished from all the world, beside, all the world beside, it should find a shelter in believing hearts. There are, however, other balances which weigh moral and spiritual things, and these often need examining. We will call in the officer tonight. The balance in which we weigh our own and other men's characters, are they, quite, are they quite accurate? Do we not turn our own ounces of goodness into pounds and other persons' bushels of excellence into pecks? See to weights and measures here, Christian. See to weights and measures here, Christian. The scales in which we measure our trials and troubles, are they according to standard? Paul, who had more to suffer than we have, called his afflictions light, and yet we often consider ours to be heavy. Surely something must be amiss with the weights. 
We must see to this matter, lest we get reported to the court above for unjust dealing. Those weights with which we measure our doctrinal belief, are they quite fair? The doctrines of grace should have the same weight with us as the precepts of the word, no more and no less, but it is to be feared that with many one scale or the other is unfairly weighed. It is a grand matter to give just measure in truth, Christian. Just measure in truth. Christian, be careful here. Those measures in which we estimate our obligations and responsibilities look rather small. When a rich man gives no more to the cause of God than the poor, con poor contribute, is that a just ephah and a just hen? When ministers are half-starved, is that honest dealing? When the poor are despised while ungodly rich men are held in admiration, is that a just balance? Reader, we might lengthen the list, but we prefer to leave it as your evening's work, to find out and destroy all unrighteous balances, weights, and measures. All right. So like I said, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John uh, chapter, tw chapter 12. Wow, chapter 12, sorry. Um, Jesus, this is Jesus's entrance in, into Jerusalem for this final time, for this final Sabbath, this last six days or so. Um, so, um, what we're, what we're covering in this section, what Dr. MacArthur, and as I've said before, I, I use what, um, he lays out, um, because it's just, it's easier for me to be honest. Um, but what he calls this section, it's from, um, verse, let's see, John 12, verse 17 through 26. He calls it the gospel reaches out a preview of Gentile salvation, which sounds really kind of weird when you're going through this and you're like, wait, what, is, what is this? How does this fit in with Jesus's triumphal entry and the follow on to this? But it does, you, you really have to look at it, but it does, but let's, let's go ahead and let's read the text. Um, here at first. So I'm going to read all of it. I'm going to read from verse 17 through verse 26 of John chapter 12. And then we're going to get dig in today to verses 20 through 22. So let's go ahead and read. So the crowd who was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness about him. For this reason, also the crowd went and met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. All right, so we've watched the triumphal entry. We've watched Jesus come in. We've we've seen him, um, verses 12 through 16, see him. He's come in on a colt. He's come in very humbly. Um, you know, um, they've, they've laid down the palm branches. The people have proclaimed him Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So they've acknowledged him as King. Um, but again, we've talked about it and we saw it in verses 17 through 19. Um, we, we see the crowd there. 
Um, and, and we see, so we're in that section, the gospel reaches out a preview of Gentile salvation. And what we see in verses 17 through 19 is the rejection by the Pharisees. Um, and we see first the reaction of the crowd and, and let's not misunderstand. So, um, it, it, because of the use of the word and a lot of times of how it's meaning, please don't misunderstand it. And the word I'm speaking about is witness in verse 17. So the crowd who was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness about him. Um, this is not bearing witness as in, as in a Christian witness, as in witnessing as in giving the gospel. That's not what they're doing. That's not what they're doing in any way, shape, or form. That's not what we're talking about here. What they are doing is they're telling everybody that they're coming in contact with about the miracle he did of raising Lazarus. Again, these are people that came out to um, Bethany, which like we've talked about is is down the Jericho Road less than two miles from Jerusalem. Um, and that's where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. Um, and they came out. Um, some of them had come out because he was, because they were mourning to, to, to be, to continue to mourn because mourning was a very, very big deal in that time. Um, and to mourn along with the sisters. Um, and, and honestly, in some cases people would come out as professional mourners as professional mourners, or in some cases just, uh, you know, kind of, a my, my son always comments, it's, it's kind of a form of stolen valor of, Oh, look at me. Oh, it's so sad. It's so sad to get people to, to pity them, even though they weren't the one who lost somebody. Um, so some of it may have been as much that as anything else, but, but, but a lot of it, honestly, and, and we've seen, we've talked about the fact that Mary, Martha and Lazarus were obviously pretty well to do. And so they would be the kind of people that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes would want to rub elbows with. So to be seen mourning for Lazarus would, would be kind of put a feather in their cap as goofy as that sounds. It would kind of put a feather in their cap. And that's what they were big about. Please don't ever misunderstand by this point, this religious leadership, this Jewish leadership, religious leadership, the Jews as, as John, the apostle regularly refers to them as much as their responsibility was to take care of and, and help guide and shape the spiritual lives of the Jews their true primary focus was to make sure they stayed in power and they got all their, all, all the things they wanted to get. They were able to line their pockets. They were able you know, we, we've, we've talked about that ad nauseum, but again, we got to remember that, that, that that's the situation we're in here. But so here comes the crowd through and they're witnessing about him. They're talking about, man, look, this guy, this, 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 this big, um, um, miracle worker, you know, I mean, he raised this guy from the dead, which of course, like, like I said before, that kind of threw the Sadducees into confusion because they didn't believe in resurrection. The Pharisees did. It actually kind of did a, did a good bit for the Pharisees because here's proof that people can be resurrected, re resurrected, not by anybody, but Jesus, but, um, or anybody by God, um, through, um, I believe it was Elijah. Um, and Elijah was dang, laying dead in a, in a grave and a body, um, fell in, um, or was tossed in and touched him and was brought back to life. But, but again, this wasn't something that the average person could do. So this was a huge thing. And again, we talked about the crowds. I've talked to you about the crowds. They were superficial. Okay. We've talked about that before that very, very superficial. Um, and, and the fact is the majority of them show repeatedly, um, as we saw at the feeding of the 5,000, 
when they wanted to make Jesus king. It was because he was giving them a free meal. You know, it, it wasn't become, I mean, you know, they said, oh, this is the man that was spoken of. Yeah, they, they get that, that he's the Messiah, but they don't have the right understanding of the Messiah. Again, it's, it's like in our day, people sit there and they say, oh yeah, I love Jesus. I worship Jesus, except the Jesus they worship isn't the Jesus of the Bible. It's the Jesus they've made in their own mind. Well, this is the same thing. They've, they've created a Messiah in their own mind. But it's not the Messiah of the Bible. The Messiah of the Bible was not this, this conquering warrior, at least not on his first coming, was not this conquering warrior that was going to pile in here and bulldoze anybody that was oppressing the Jews and place the Jews up on the top of a pedestal over all other nations. He wasn't. And we've got to remember that. Okay, the Jews, they were specifically, yes, they were a chosen people. And God's very clear. I didn't choose you because you're the most numerous or anything else like that. I chose you because I chose you. But he chose them to be a priesthood to bring his message, to bring the worship of God to the nations. And they failed. They failed horribly. Now, I'm not saying we wouldn't have too, but they failed horribly. Thus, the need for a savior because the fact is, God's message was not making it around the world. I'm, you know, and yes, yes, we can say God can do anything. And please don't ever misunderstand this. And actually, this is kind of in the conclusion, but I want to make I want to make clear. I'm not saying God had to go to plan B. That that's not what I'm saying. But the Jews were to be a a priesthood to the nations, and they weren't. Not even to those who already believed and had been of, of, of the house of Israel before, before they got corrupted, they would, they wouldn't even try to bring them back under the true worship of God. They'd rather shut them out Nehemiah, Ezra and all them. And I'm not putting them down, but, but instead of trying to proselytize, which we'll see that word a few times, which is not a bad thing per se. Um, it's, it's to try to show somebody your belief system and bring them to a point where they believe the same thing. Okay. They didn't even try to do that. They just shut them out. Okay. So we saw there. And so we see here um, in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. So again, like I talked about, they're backbiting each other. They're going after each other. Now, look, look, you fools. You're not even, you're not even accomplishing what we were trying to accomplish. And they go on. The world has gone after him. Of course, they weren't talking about the world, but they were talking about all these people at this festival, and again, I, we talked about um, at the time of the Passover, there were a few times there in the first century where the population there in Jerusalem was over a million people. Um, I've been in Jerusalem, in the, well, approximately 20 years ago, a million people being a lot of people now. Um, I can't even imagine what it had been like then where the city was actually smaller. Um, so a, a huge amount, amount of people, but they're following him. Now, of course, the Pharisees were misunderstanding and thinking they may, or at least seemed to be thinking they were following him and they were going to believe. I know they were worried about the fact that they were following him and they were afraid that these people were going to take him up, proclaim him king and riot against the Romans upon which the Roman legions would stomp, you know, stomp a mud hole in Israel. Okay. 
So that that's their big fear, but that's what they're saying there. So we saw that rejection of Jesus. And again, we're seeing these perceptions of Jesus and this, the gospel reaches out a preview of Gentile salvation. We're seeing these three different perceptions. So again, we saw the rejection of the Pharisees. And what we see in our verses today, verses 20 through 22, let me read them again. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. So, now, again, there were some Greeks here. So, these would have been Greek proselytes who had been converted into the Jewish faith, because again, that's the thing. There was, within the Mosaic law, there was instruction on how to bring those who were not Jews into the Jewish faith. Yet notice how few people they really did that with. I mean, it, it was not a big thing. It really wasn't. But so these, these would be Greek proselytes, so Gentiles, who had been converted into the Jewish faith, or were at least God-fearing people. Again, we, we see that in a couple of places where it's not necessarily an indication of them having been converted to Jews, but they had taken up worship of God, um, Acts 10, 22. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, so a Roman, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was directed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear a message from you. So again, centurion, again, of course, this was the, the um, they, an angel had told Cornelius to send people to get Peter so that Peter would come and speak to them. And of course they received the Holy spirit. They come, you know, to saving faith, but again, a righteous and God fearing man. So he was worshiping God, um, Acts 17, four, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God fearing Greeks and not a few of the leading women, um, Acts 17, 17. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with, in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. So these were coming up to Jerusalem to join in the celebration and worship of the Passover. So these are God-fearing people and they're coming up to worship of the Passover, whether they're Jews or not. And that, that's great. I mean, that's what God had commanded. So they were doing it. Because make no mistake, the Passover was very much worship. You know, you can think of it as a festival and it is. But it's worship. I mean, there were worship portions of it throughout. And it was a very, very, very big deal. And for the Jews, they were required. This was one of the big ones they were required to be at. This was not a request for them. They were required. And if you missed it, things were not going to go well for you. So verse 22, these then, those same Greeks, came to Philip, who was from beside of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, there are any number of theories as to, as to why they came to Philip. And obviously, it may have been completely random. That that may be one of them. It's just John just documents it. But, there, like I said, there are many theories. Um, there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple of them. It may have been very tough in that crowd to get to Jesus themselves. A million people crammed in there. Oh, yeah trying to get to Jesus to begin with. And people are already following. Again, we're already talking about the crowds following him such that the Pharisees are freaking out. Okay. So that's not a small crowd that's following him. That's not 50 or a hundred. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, maybe following him. So to try to get close to him may have been very hard. 
So they, they went to somebody to try to get them in there. But also, Jesus might have been in one of the two inner courts. Remember, at the temple, there was the court of the Gentiles. So there's the outer wall. There's the court of the Gentiles, which is the outer court. There's the court of the women, which is the middle court. And there's the court of the men, which is the inner court. So these Greek proselytes or, or God-fearing could not have gone past the court of the Gentiles. They could not have come any farther than that. And Jesus may have been further in. So they saw Philip, who they had seen with Jesus coming through the city and a realization, hey, this is one of his people. Let's catch him, get his attention. Maybe he can figure out a way to get us to see Jesus. But they might have also gone to Philip because being from Bethsaida in Galilee, there's a good chance that he spoke Greek fluently like they did. Um, that was a thing up in Galilee. Um, and the further north you got, um, there was more um, very fluent Greek speakers. They might still speak speak Jewish, speak Hebrew, but they were more fluent Greek speakers. So maybe that was why. But whatever it might be, the fact is they came to Philip. But we also need to notice, and I think this is actually more important than why they came to Philip, is we need to notice that unlike the fickle, superficial crowd, and again, remember, this is the crowd that went from Hosanna to give us Barabbas, take him away, crucify him. Okay. So again, we, we've got to notice that unlike the fickle superficial crowd, these Greeks, these Gentiles came to one of Jesus disciples to get an introduction to Jesus. They're not coming along to rub elbows. They're not coming along to name drop like I've been talking about. They've, they're not coming along to say, hey, man, I saw this guy. They want an audience with Jesus. Just like you got to remember Andrew and John. Andrew and John at the beginning um, <clears throat> in John chapter 1. Um, that Jesus has that exchange with them. And, the, and, they, and Jesus asks questions such and they answer such that, they, that, that he sits down and spends a day or so with them in true deep discussion. Okay. These guys are not coming to get an autograph. Okay, and I, I know that I'm, I'm really not trying to belittle this, but it, that's not what they're coming for. They're coming to have an audience with him, not, you know, and I don't mean that in a weird sense, but to be truly instructed by him, to be truly guided by him. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't have bothered with this. They, they'd have hung out in the court of the Gentiles till Jesus came back through there because there, there was a while during this that he would go in and out from Bethany to Jerusalem and back. He'd go back out and stay in Bethany or in one of those surrounding villages and then come back into Jerusalem. So they could have just waited for him, but they went to his disciple to get an instruction. So these people are showing a real interest in Jesus, maybe even a real interest in his preaching, in his message, in the gospel, as opposed to the crowd that has been following him for what he can give them and for the entertainment of seeing him do miracles. Um, again, remember the feeding of the 5,000, and then they went to find him the next day so they could get another free meal. And again, you know, I understand financially a free meal for them was a big bonus because that was that much of their day's wage they could save against emergencies, which normally they couldn't. So, you know, it was a big financial boon to them for Jesus to provide them free food. Okay. Um, you know, so, you know, we get that, except that's why they followed him. 
Um, they followed him so they would be healed. Now, of course, I, you know, we understand that, but again, it's what can you give me? They're wanting to make him King had everything to do with what he could do for them, not what they could do for him or not what he represented as the Messiah had nothing to do with that. It was what he could do for them. They wanted him to throw off the Roman yoke, to throw off the Roman yoke. They wanted him to throw off the Roman oppression and throw the Romans out of out of Israel. Like their life was going to be so much better. It really wasn't not, not considering where they were at, but, but they were sure that the Romans were the key to their problem. No, they were the key to their own problem. But again, that's why they were following him, but not these people, not these Greeks. And again, we've got to see this. The Jews have been falling away. Again, like I said, um, yeah, they came back and we saw, and you can see as you read the histories through Nehemiah and Ezra and them, they reestablish proper worship within Jerusalem as they start rebuilding the walls and all that stuff. They reinstitute. But we also see, and I think it's Nehemiah, um, if I remember right. I've read through it recently, but sometimes I, I forget these things. Um, I think it's Nehemiah, you know, that he'd sat there and he had got stuff set up, but he had to go back to the king that he was a taster for. I, I guess he was his, his, his uh, yeah, anyways, his taster. So we went back to to uh, Susa, I guess. I think it was Susa. And then he turns around and comes back and he comes back and they've gone back to doing the stupid stuff. So he has to correct him again. And I mean, I think at one point he pulls some guys, pulls people's hairs out, hair out and stuff like that and their beards out. Because he's like, you've got to be kidding me, you know, that, that you're doing this. So again, you know, and we see that, you know, okay, fine. They come back, they kind of reform, Jerusalem reestablishes. But why do you think God went silent for 400 years? I mean, seriously, and no, the scriptures don't specifically say that. But why do you think God went silent for 400 years? Through the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, they were falling away. I mean, it would fall away so bad that the Pharisees came to power or came, were established. Um, and they were actually an, a, an outshoot of another group. But the whole point was to bring the Israeli people, the Hebrews back to piety because they had strayed so far from it and they tried, but it was, but it was, unfortunately they missed the idea of having a circumcised heart and not a circumcised body. Um, so it was all about outward works it wasn't about being changed inside. They didn't get it, but it, I mean, at least they were trying, but they didn't get it. So they've strayed away from that. And again, that's the thing. The Jews have fallen away. Now we should be grateful for that. You and I, because them falling away brought Christ that brought salvation, not only for them, but for us again, the, the talk of the, the branches, that those Jews that have been those those branches that have been broken off because they're they're not they're not Christians and we get grafted in even though we're not of the root again we're not of that that original flock we're of an other flock but because of them falling away we're brought in and that's great but we have to also remember the bible is very clear they will be brought back the Jews will be brought back and the tribe of Jacob will be cleansed and will be brought back. So don't ever forget that. But because of their falling away, 
we have salvation. Seriously. So we have to remember that, that, but that, and, and again, like I said, the Jews will be brought back because again, they must be to fulfill the Abrahamic, the Davidic and the new covenants. So we got to realize that. So we move on to verse 22. Again, Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. So we don't have any, any indication in the scripture to tell us exactly why Philip went to Andrew first. It's just like, we don't know why they went to Philip first. We don't. And like we, we speculated a little bit, what was, what was more important is the fact that they came to one of his disciples to talk to him. They weren't just trying to rub elbows or get a, or get a, um, or get a, um, autograph. But again, we can offer a little speculation. Um, considering that Andrew is part of that inner circle. Remember that inner circle there is Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the two sets of brothers. They are that inner circle there. Again, Andrew and John were two of the first to come to him were were the two first to come to him. And then they went and got Peter. Um, and I would assume they got James at some point there and brought him in. But again, that, that core group there, Andrew's part of that. So, you know, maybe that's why Philip went to Andrew, one of the inner circle, and then they went on, um, to Jesus to do so. But again, we're seeing that interest, that interest of the Gentiles, that interest of the Gentiles where the Pharisees who ought to be, who ought to be just falling all over themselves for him are rejecting him. So again, we're seeing these different perspectives on Jesus and this, as we look at this preview of Gentile salvation. And like I said, we saw the rejection of the Pharisees. And again, we're seeing here the beginning of the attention by the Gentiles. And again, Jesus came to provide salvation for all nations, not just the Jews, though the Jews were supposed to be the priesthood that distributed the message of God throughout the nations, like I already talked about at the beginning. Um, and of course, like I said, the Jews saw that as a reason to elevate themselves above the rest of the world, not to act as a, as, as, um, a priesthood to bring the message to them. But we, again, like I said, we start seeing here the interest in the attention of the Gentiles. And we're going to see that fulfilled and that, and that, you know, that, that is the, honestly, the way I see this is this is the start of the Gentile ministry. Um, because we're going to see Paul and Barnabas and even Peter, and we'll see, um, Timothy and Titus and Silas and John Mark going out throughout the Gentile word world bringing the word of God, bringing the, the gospel, the, the way as they called it in that first century, bringing it to the Gentile world, bringing true worship of God to the Gentile word world, not this pharisaical, um, that this very action at specific action centered, um, very, very, very rote, um, very, very, um, checklist type of farce of a religion, but true faith in God, they'll bring it out there. And here we see these, we get this first indication of Gentiles showing an interest in the message Jesus is bringing. So again, we see this, uh, uh, a preview of Gentile salvation. All right. That's going to do it for tonight. Uh, we'll be wrapping up this section, God willing, tomorrow evening. 
Uh, let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our, our, our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. I hope that it has been edifying and equipping for you and helps to continue and deep, deepen your uh, knowledge of the gospel of John and of the gospel as a whole. And I hope to see you tomorrow morning uh, for the morning segment for um, Tuesday. Uh, I hope you have a great evening. Have a good one. God bless. Mm-hmm.